Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. It's going to it's episode 889. It's going to be a bit special show. I'm going to be interviewing my great co-host, Kurt. We're going to be delving in a bit about his background and how he got into WordPress. So, Kurt, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers of the show? Sure thing, Jonathan. Thanks. Uh, my name is Kurt Von Annen. I own an agency called Manana Nomas, and we focus largely on membership and learning websites. I also work directly with WP Tonic and Lifter LMS. Fantastic. And in this show, Kurt has a background in working with some of the largest organizations in motorsport um, on an executive level about how he had to transfer his knowledge and experience into running a WordPress agency. He has worked in the training side of motorsport, how also be discussing with him how if you're a WordPress agency, you might be able to present yourself to larger organizations and be treated seriously as a serious option. He's got a wealth of knowledge. I just thought it was time to delve into that knowledge and find out more about Kirk. His background should be a fantastic show. But before we go into the meat and potatoes, I've got a couple messages from our major sponsors we will be back in a few moments folks tired of hosting providers that can't handle high traffic loads convesio is here to help our platform can handle any amount of traffic all without slowdown or crashing with immediate slack support performance optimization and a team that thrives on resolving technical challenges your e-commerce business is in safe hands. Learn more about Convesio at Convesio.com. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. We're coming back, folks. We've also got some temporary great sponsors as well, um, which I quickly want to tell you about. One of them is Omisend. Omisend is a text messaging plugin service, um, specializes in WooCommerce, has a history with Shopify, but decided to see the light and has moved into WordPress and WooCommerce. If you've got clients, especially in the e-commerce space, that need to send out SMS messages to their shoppers their shopping carts um this is a great solution and they're offering for the first three months of sign up 30 percent off that's an exclusive deal with wp tonic another temporary sponsor which i'm so glad and hopefully they will decide to become a full-time sponsor or 
is Cloudways. Cloudways is offering a special deal um, four months with 40% off. Um, you'll find all these deals at, by going to the wp-tonic.com slash deals. wp-tonic.com slash deals. And you'll find all the coupon codes, all the deals from the sponsors on that page, plus a curated list of the best WordPress plugins and services that the WP Tonic team use utilizes on a daily basis. So they're all totally kosher and just save you a load of time with your clients. So go over there and get all the info there. What more could you ask for? Probably a lot more on Thanksgiving, but that's all you're going to get from the WP Tonic team. So, so Kurt. Um, let's go with the question one. Maybe you can give a tribe, um, give a more detailed intro about your background, how you got into motorsport, how you progressed into the into the higher management of motorsport. What led, what life change led to you then getting into the world of WordPress and WordPress agency owner? Well. <laughs> I can blame my addiction to motorsports on uh, my father. My, my parents had split up when I was only six years old. And I think the way that my dad really ticked off my mother was he got me a motorcycle. And uh, she hated it. <laughs> um, it, it, could, it could be worse things, couldn't it? There could be worse things. Um, it was so cool. I, I can still remember that, that it's a... Jonathan, if you've ever ridden like an air-cooled motorcycle before, there's a certain feeling and a certain smell that happens when, when you use something like that to this day, I can remember being six, seven years old and going to this private property and riding this motorcycle with my friends and just feeling free, you know, and it's that same feeling still happens to me today. If I get on a scooter, uh, a race bike, a dirt bike, it doesn't matter T two wheels and an engine. And I am just so happy on the, I, I giggle and laugh like a little child. So, um, that was the start. And then I, I just, I, I stuck with it. I was the only kid in high school that had a motorcycle. Uh, I couldn't afford a car and car insurance. And back then motorcycles were cheap. So I, you know, I bought a Honda 400 insurance was $60 for a year. And, uh, you know, I rode that thing, rain, snow, sleet, hail growing up in Philadelphia. I rode it year round. Um, it, it's unfortunate, but the motorcycle industry changed significantly through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and then into the new millennium. And so what used to be affordable, what used to be, you know, kind of like old school pickup trucks and fun um, has turned into a rather expensive distraction. So, so now to be in the industry, it's not just an, it's not like a, it's not like a end this thing. It, it's almost like it's, it's become so expensive that you have to make other decisions. And, and with that, you know, you just kind of stick with the sport, but, uh, I, I go all the way through it. I road raced for about 20 years, uh, toward the country, dragging my knee around corners and having fun. And, uh, eventually, uh, started working in the car industry and then along with motorcycle dealerships and then Marine dealerships and even worked in aviation for a while. So I just kind of got hooked on working in things that dealt with transportation and vehicles. Right. 
So um, how did you start getting into the managerial side of motorsport? Because I know you've worked for Ducati, you've worked for Suzuki, you've worked with some of the most major motorsport brands and organisations. So how did you met your work in the more managerial side start? This this gets into a thing that some people might describe as like a life hack. You know, this is like, I should make a course and sell this. I, you I, should. <laughs> I bypassed college. My family situation was such that I, I just, I even had scholarship offers coming out of high school and I just didn't go to college. Um, I was working and almost instantly got into the automotive service industry and aviation and just working the hours and you know, boots on the ground, doing the hard work, right. And, and kind of like working with customers and getting cars fixed. So I had that experience at the dealer level, but when I got tired of that, I wrote a book and that's the life hack. I wrote and published a book. It's called service writing in black and white. It was just a mental exercise for me. I didn't realize it was going to sell, but then it started to sell and Ducati bought the book, read the book, and then reached out to me. Jonathan, when the phone rang, I thought it was a prank call from one of my friends. They were like, hey, this is Ducati North America. Is Kurt Von Annen available? And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. And uh, and it was them. They said that they read the book, they liked the book, and they asked if I would write a course for them to train service writers and service managers how to increase parts and labor sales for dealerships. And I thought, well, I like to teach. I was already a motorcycle safety foundation coach, so I taught that course. I had my own road racing school and taught people how to race motorcycles, and I thought, I like to teach. I like to write. I'll do it. So I wrote it. Jonathan, I didn't even know how to sell it. Like I, I called him up and I said, I wrote the course. What do you guys want to do? Do you want to pay for this? Do you want to buy this? Do you want to rent it? Like, I don't even know how to do this. And then it just grew into, you know, they said, well, we don't have anyone to teach it. Would you teach it? We don't have anyone to facilitate the meetings. Would you facilitate the meetings in Las Vegas? And it just grew and grew and grew. And they became my biggest contract. By this time, I had left the automotive industry and working in dealerships, and that's when I'd started my WordPress agency. So I was making websites, you know, for all kinds of businesses in Albuquerque and struggling because I wasn't selling things at a high enough, you know, entry point. And then Ducati came along, hired me as a contractor, and they became my biggest client. Right. So how long did that relation, you know, it hasn't ended. I don't think, I don't think you've let, you burnt bridges with them. It just, things change, people move on. But how long did that kind of involvement last for? I contracted with them for about three and a half, four years. And then they had an internal position open up for training. And uh, they hired me away from myself, Jonathan. They, they made the offer. Right. At first they said, you know, we don't want to, you know, you have a thriving business. We didn't think you'd want to come to work for us. And I said, you make the offer, you know, and I'll tell you if it's good enough or not. They made the offer. I talked it over with my wife. We packed the car and, and moved to California. Um, that was my first, you know, OEM level position, right? So I was full time. I was in. in there. It must have been a bit of a cult, cult, in some ways, a bit of a culture shock for you. Huge culture shock. And people don't understand the differences sometimes from the outside looking in. People think Ducati is this huge company, this huge corporation, and their brand is huge, but their operations are not. So there was only 30 or 35 people in the office. It was a pretty small office in, in Cupertino, California. Uh, it has since moved. 
And um, it was really interesting for me. And and the culture of being run by an attorney. I, I don't want to interrupt, but I just want to get a feeling. Is Ducati USA a totally independent company organization to the parent company, which I um, I have very limited knowledge, but I know Ducati is now part of the Volkswagen group. I don't know if Ducati, its corporate presence, is still based in Italy, and that it must have some supervision of Volkswagen uh, over it. But is the US an independent company, or is it just linked to the Italian? Uh, my company? my understanding is it's a subsidiary. So there's Ducati North America, and that does Canada, United States, and Mexico. And then DMH is Ducati Motor Holdings, which is out of Bologna, Italy. Right. And they're under direct supervision, but my understanding is they do a lot of things independently as well. Yes, because I, I think this is quite a common structure. Am I correct about that? Yes. Yeah. Um, most people, when they think of an OEM in the United States, like Suzuki, Triumph, you know, you just go through all the brands. They're not really manufacturers in the true sense of being a manufacturer. They're distributors. Yeah. So they import the product to the United States and then they distribute it. So realistically, and this is this might rub people the wrong way, but th- some of them aren't even enthusiasts for the sport. They could sell toasters. They could sell yeah. waterbeds. They don't care, right? It's they're, they've, they're moving product. Um, and then, of course, they have the dealer network to maintain. Yeah, it's... Their, their business is business. Their business, they come from either business school background, traditionally doing an MBA at one of the higher MBA schools, they, or they're from a accountancy um, background or MBA background, and they, um, they're about the management of management and figures, which are very important aspects, but they normally don't have really a deep knowledge or culture understanding of the particular industry that they're um, involved in. Um, a lot of them don't even want to know. But that, I think myself, that is a mistake. Um, but on the other hand, I just don't want to come out with this nonsense or they're just suits. Um, I think finance is important. I think um, understanding the fundamentals of the drive, the financial drivers of a business is really very important. And having somebody that has a deeper knowledge of business is also important. I think it's a blend. I think it's all important. Um, yeah. That's why it's not easy because I think it's all important. So. You, you developed. You started working with Ducati, which um, is a legend. It is a pretty legend in the motorsport. You know, if you got that on your resume in the motorsport motorcycle, it's a bit like saying you work with Rolls Royce. You know, <laughs> uh, um, then there was the move to Suzuki, um, which in some ways was even a higher. I just sense your interaction with the parent company, um, the culture was even a bigger jump in some ways than Ducati. So yeah. how did the jump from Ducati, I presume there was a direct jump from Ducati to Suzuki, but 
Am I correct about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I took a week or two off. That's when I got John Maxwell certified during the break between the two. Um, so that's where I got the leadership certification. But um, it's I should point out, like Ducati is by far the most plugged in, passionate power sports company I've ever been connected to um, at, at all levels. Even the current management that's in North America now, I would still say that they are, you know, as passionate as they were when I was there. It, it's a, it's a phenomenally strong brand and passionate company. When you went, when you go from a company like Ducati and, and that Italian passion and you go to a company, you know, like Suzuki, the culture is completely different and you're dealing with volumes that are, that dwarf Ducati. Um, you know, they well, sell more. I mean, tell me if I'm interrupting, but the other factor is, Obviously, Ducati is part, in some ways, I'm not correct about this because Ducati is part of Volkswagen, but I sense that they give Ducati a really very separate company and Volkswagen, I wouldn't say just leaves them to their own devices. That would be simplistic, but it is a really separate it branding and company branding entity. With Suzuki, the motorsport is... The motorcycle, the motorsport, I'm only presuming that I was going to see if you, you put me right here. It, this is a very large company that um, had to give up the motor car um, element in the US, but has a worldwide, has a very quite large presence in motor cars, in the marine, um, in various aspects, very similar to Yamaha and Honda. They've got a lot of fingers in a lot of pies. It's just a very, it's a major Japanese-based manufacturer. You know, I, didn't yeah. by pointing, I just wanted to point that out to the listeners and viewers. People in America really don't have a grasp on how big Suzuki is. It is immense. They, uh, they run something like 60% of the market in India with their product. Um, Suzuki's kind of modus operandi is to introduce their entry level cars to, you know, burgeoning markets. So when a country is starting to climb out of poverty and people are starting to get cars, Suzuki shows up with all these entry level cars and they seize the market. I mean, they just flood it with their, with their product at a very good entry point price point. And, uh, and they, they just have market share like crazy. That's part of the reason Toyota uh, joined them and, and does business with them because they're kind of sharing their hybrid technology with Suzuki for the future. And Suzuki's, you know, helping to introduce some of Toyota's models to these markets that they have these giant holds on. Um, it's, it's an amazing, when you get down to it, it's really an amazing thing. And to answer your question about the Volkswagen thing, to steal words directly from the people I, I worked with at Volkswagen, they believe in a thing called brand sanctity. That was their phrase. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really enjoyed working for their organization. Like if I could roll back the, the, the time a little bit, I I'd almost love to, to do a little more with them. Um, you know, they have Lamborghini, Bentley, Porsche, all these brands and Volkswagen will give you anything you need. Like they'll give you all the tools you need for your own success. Um, and, but the, as long as you're experiencing success and growth, they kind of stay out of your backyard and they let you maintain your culture, you know, maintain your production methods, but they're there to help you when you need that boost. And it's like the perfect, it's the perfect business combination to me 
of how you let people experience success. Yeah, I would agree with you. So you moved to, to Suzuki and mm-hmm. better, a better offer. But then I sense with the couple of conversations and the couple of hints, I think you found the corporate culture there difficult to, to deal with. Uh, because you, you always got hired to develop, and this is how you've ended up work helping me, helping Lifter, running your own agency, because they hired you to for training to build on, you know, to find a training platform, and that's how you got introduced to WordPress because you were looking at all types of platforms, um, and they hired you to develop internal training for their dealers. In my, I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm positive so, yeah, on about they, this, but you, t- you tell the story. Go on. They had a SCORM-based uh, proprietary learning platform, um, and it was built years and years and years ago. And it was not, the user had a great user experience, but us on the back end trying to manage it and build it, it was a little bit of a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a modern SCORM platform, you load up your zip file and it takes that, that course and it, you know, expands it and makes it run online. This particular platform, we couldn't load up zip files. We had to send them to the vendor. The vendor would kind of break apart the package and stitch it back together in this platform. Sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. It would take us weeks to get material online for our learners. And besides being not very functional for what I wanted, it was hugely expensive and huge, like a lot of money. I'm not going to share numbers, but it was a lot of money. And I thought, you know, with my work in WordPress and the stuff I had done as an agency previous to my OEM work, like there's got to be a better answer to this. And so I did the research. Uh, you know, I looked at Learn Dash, I looked at Tutor LMS, I looked at Lifter LMS. I started working on some of my own projects in Lifter LMS, and I really liked the company culture at Lifter. So I proposed building this thing for Suzuki and Lifter, and um, they turned it down. They said they weren't ready for that kind of change, you know, at that at that space and time. And I remember that's right around when I was on your show the first time. You know, we were talking about that when I when I first left Suzuki. Um, I ended up building a package for them in the Marine division to help with dealers. And so the thing to remember is Suzuki is a big company, but each of those elements is a big company in its own right. So they have Suzuki Marine, Suzuki Power Sports, Suzuki Automotive. And I ended up building a project for the Marine division on Lifter LMS. And I really liked the way that it came out. And I really liked the bottom line, like from a corporate position, to look at something that could have been over six figures to something that costs less than 10 grand to implement, it's like, I hate to say it's a no brainer because I think that insults people that make other decisions, but I can't, I could not wrap my head around why a corporation wouldn't want to save uh, 90%. Because um, I, I wanted to touch the pot because I think you brought up a really interesting element and it's linked to the next question, really. And we can. So what are some of the major lessons you've learned connected to running your WordPress agency? And I just want to put this. I think um, when you're dealing, this is my observation, when you're dealing with larger organizations, let's say over 50 people, let's say, let's say I'm just pulling this out, out of the ether really, over 
over the one to five million gross turnover per year and from one to 50 person when you're dealing with large organizations i think their mindset is totally different obviously they don't want to be totally ripped off but their really concern is not solely price driven to some extent it's about will the fin do what it says and will the support be ongoing and does it will we integrate with our other systems yeah that's their mindset am i wrong about that because you've got more experience in some ways i have worked i have done work for larger organizations but i've not actually worked on executive level in an organization like that so what i've just outlined is is there any truth to it kurt there's truth to that but there's so many other layers that go into it, Jonathan. Um, you got to remember at most corporate entities that are larger, the people that got to the vice president's desk or the president's desk, they've been there for a while in most cases, you know, and some of those dudes are just trying to get to the end. And that's one of the saddest things about my corporate experience is that you'll see people that are you have potential, you have, you know, you, we could change this. We could really ramp this up. We can make this better for the people. And they're like, now nah, we're not ready for that kind of change yet. You know, let's just stay the course. Let's just, you know, because they just want to squeak to the end of their term so they can get the retirement and get out. Well, it's, re- it's risk management, isn't it? It's absolute risk management. And the other side of the coin, like, and I know this for a fact, when I was talking to my vice president at Suzuki, the reason I looked at other platforms besides the WordPress and, and making Lifter myself for the company, they, they flat out said, you work for us. We don't want to put all these cookies in your cookie jar. You know, what happens if you leave? What happens if this? What happens if that? You know, and so we had to start looking at other vendors like Bridge, LearnUpon, SumTotal, and some other options for LMS providers at the corporate level. So that the corporation wouldn't be dependent upon me to maintain this thing internally. Which in some ways is an understandable position, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You can understand the logic of it, can't you? Oh, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. But even when you look at those pricey things, um, those would have been great savings to that company at that time, but they just didn't want to make the change. And that's the, you run into that a lot when you get into corporate. They just, when you hear other entrepreneurs talk about how corporations are slow to make decisions or slow to make changes. Um, it's not always based on a spreadsheet. It's not always based on no. a lot of it's just what's the survival technique to get to the end of that career mark and leave it for someone else to take care of. And that sounds like a horrible thing to say about people, but that's just the truth of it. No, because, you know, I do a lot of um, increasingly, I've been doing more and more business to business outreach and one of the criteria I utilise LinkedIn is I look for job change uh, as a criteria to touch base with them because um, that's when uh, there's the possibility of change being enacted. Um, it's cruel. But So what are some of the other lessons you've learned by running a WordPress agency? If I think back to the beginning of it, Jonathan, 
I think the best advice to give people thinking about doing it themselves would be you have to know your niche. You have to know who are you serving and what's your offer going to be. Because when I came out, Jonathan, I was helping startups. I was referred to a lot of customers through the Economic Development Center in South Albuquerque. So I had a lot of, um, have a lot of incoming new businesses and they didn't have budgets. No, so I ended up that pumping out, that's yeah, I ended up pumping out a ton of mediocre websites, you know, getting them up, just, just four or five page sites, just getting them up. Um, the problem is you end up with hundreds of websites. And when you look at your bank account, you're like, I don't even know if I can pay rent. Like, you know, you're just, you're working, working, working. And I think at some level, you know, you have to start to recognize what's my skill set, what is my offer, and how does this thing scale or grow? I think most, I think a lot of people in the WordPress freelance, then eight, if they want to go the eight, a lot of freelancers do not want to go down their agency route because they do not want to have to manage people. Um, um, so, which is totally understandable. I've chose to have a, I don't hire, I hire freelancers and then I try and build uh, a relationship with a small team of people that I have relationships with ongoing. Um, but a lot of people don't even want to do that. They just want a freelancer. But I think we're, I think everybody's been there that you just take on the work that is available. But what you've got to attempt to do is exactly what you've outlined. You've got to find what type of customer, what type of industry, what type of scenario you seem to click with. And that varies with each freelancer, developer, a quasar agency owner. Um, it just varies. Um, um, but you, the sooner you can find that niche, the better I think it's going to going to be um i think question three um i think we've touched on upon it in around question two really because it was a rep um what you didn't touch was um because um you point you i think your relationship with suzuki ended because they basically decided that training wasn't that important it was it could be removed completely yeah, and, and passed on to the dealer network and let them do whatever they wanted to do um is that i think you said they just got rid of the whole department yeah yeah and it's i, I can't exactly say it like just leave it up to the dealer and they'll figure it out right but they, they still have training material that they make somehow some way but i used to run a team of five people mm -hmm. and i had you know I had someone that was a e-learning specialist and then, you know, a guy that wrote technical journals and cause we had to do all the service manuals and journals and emails and all that too. And so, um, that whole department got shut down, uh, in 2020, right before COVID, they closed a bunch of things. They closed down product development. They closed down training. They closed down the internal customer service lines. Um, man, they just shut down a bunch of stuff. And so when I left Suzuki, I wasn't angry business is business you know well you, it's a flicker that you never know what's coming yeah. yeah yeah so i wasn't angry you know but i said okay am i going to get another corporate job because now i had done corporate for 10 years am i getting another corporate job or am i going to relaunch manana nomas and go after this thing you know with a fever pitch and i tried both i tried getting work and i tried 
relaunching the agency. And during COVID, getting work was not happening. So I just kept taking every deal I could get with Manana Nomas. And here we are. You know, I'm your co-host. I work directly with Lifter LMS. And I've got a couple of really great projects under my belt. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like working with other people. I'm not, I'm not, I know some people that, I know some people that are highly intelligent, but for various reasons, they are incapable of working in a group scenario. I don't think I'm one of those. I am an independent spirit, but I actually like, I believe that there should be honest discussion in a group of people and then a collective decision made. And outside that decision, you shouldn't rubbish the people that made the decision, but there should be honest discussion in private and there should be collective decision making and then um there should be an agreement about how criteria should be ju- how we measure is our decision making based on reality um i think any other system is dictatorial and delusionary based but i'm amazed about how many organizations business don't run on those basic principles you know they say they are run on those principles but they're not i don't know if practice many aren't yeah but there's a big difference between what's said what's printed and what's done Mm. but i think that is i think leadership is essential somebody but that leadership should come you know it should be the it's the basis of the british political system cabinet government you have a you have a prime minister but you're, you're supposed to have a cabinet and there should be a discussion of all policies and the prime minister and the people around him are the kind of the front of of the cabinet, the people that explain. Um, but that's all broken down for various reasons that no longer exists in Britain. But I don't think it exists in a lot of companies now. Um, it's, I'm not going to go in, but it's just my observation. Um we're going to go for our break. Hopefully, I wasn't boring you there, listeners and viewers. I was waffling a little bit, but I think I've kept it on topic. Um, we're going to go for our break. It's been a fascinating discussion so far. We've got some, I've got some other great questions for Gert. We will be back in a few moments, folks. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to lifterlms.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code podcast 20 that's podcast two zero enjoy the rest of your show we're coming back folks we've had a great discussion about working for large international organizations about kirk's move into wordpress um or coming back to wordpress what he's learned i think it's been fab i just want to point out if you want to support the show be a real member of the tribe why don't you look think about hosting your clients websites with wp engine basically and um, we specialize in buddy boss lifter lms learn dash larger membership websites community focused websites we provide really great hosting that won't stress you out on these prices 
plus a suite of plugins that you can utilize on your customer projects, plus uh, a customized interface so you can actually manage your projects yourself. Um, it's a great setup. To find out more, and we love you to become part of the tribe, is go over to wp-tonic.com slash partners, wp-tonic slash partners, and have a look at what we've got to offer and have a chat with me and we'll see if we're a good fit. So on we go. On we go. Um, what are some of the lessons, you know, um, I think you you kind of mentioned the I call it niche fine. I don't think there's actually a word niche fine. There's niche, but I created niche fine, and I just love the sound of it. And I've done that consistently, make my own words. Uh, um, so, uh, um, so I call it niche fine. So, what is, what are reflecting back a little bit because it's the time of year to do that type of thing. Over, you know, you've been my co-host for almost 12 months now, which is unbelievable how time flies. And you've dealt with my madness. Um, I think one of my strengths is you, you can have honest discussion with me. I might be deluded there, but hopefully you, you agree with that. Um, and I do, I can change my position if, if faced with facts, can't I? Uh, um, but what are some of the things you've learned over the 12, 18 months so far that you know you might have not have considered that's coming your focus a bit i think to if we really focus on 12 to 18 months jonathan i think the biggest lesson that i've learned especially in the wordpress space is not to get too distracted with that shiny object syndrome right we've had you know, we've, we've had full site editing rollout, full steam ahead, you know, with the 6.3 launch of WordPress. AI is the buzzword that everyone talks about. And you want to be knowledgeable about these things, but you can't be consumed by them if you're trying to grow and scale an agency. Like I, I personally feel if I focus on my relationships and I focus like on the customer groups that I'm trying to approach or infiltrate, if I focus on the relationships and I excel at the basics and, you know, for my basics, it's all my projects are on time and under budget. Like that's, that's kind of like my niche. If I had one would be on time and under budget. I don't mess with my clients like that. So if I focus on those basics and I don't get overly distracted, you know, by these shiny objects, I'm able to grow and scale at a pretty steady rate. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've learned is that there is a kind of semi-culture and it's totally understandable of blaming because there are a lot of clients. There's what I call semi-crazy and there's full crazy. Uh, um, they are the full crazies do come on your radar and if you take them on, good luck to you. They are out there and you will... You will um, you might take them on because financially you've got no choice um, or you don't, you're on dealing with somebody. And then I've had, I've dealt with somebody initially and then at, after the contract signed, I'm, I've just been passed over to the crazy, right? So you always need to know who you're going to be working with because that's happened to me. Yeah. Um, and it's not a great experience. Um, the other thing is, but, 
the fact you've got to take into account, I've learned this the hard way if you're listening to this in your freelance and agency owner. If you're an agency owner, you should know this, but I'm probably talking more to the freelancer. If there's a vacuum, that vacuum will be filled. And if you, so what I mean, if you do not have a contract and a clear internal process, the vacuum will be taken up by the customer. And the customer, the client, um, um, doesn't know what they're doing. You should know. There should be process from the beginning, from the every part of the process of building out uh, a solution to a business. You need process. If there's no press process, that process will be filled by the client's process. What what, what are your views of what I've just outlined, Kurt? I'm thinking that you read the inside cover to my leadership book I just published. <laughs> um, in Action Leadership from the Edge, that's exactly what I talk about. I talk about, you know, leadership being an action item, right? And that if you don't embrace your natural call to leadership, you create that vacuum, you create that leadership void. And the universe hates voids. They get filled, you know, it'll, it, and it's the same with work. Exactly what you said. If you don't forecast milestones or tasks throughout a project if you're not managing the project scope creep takes over and next thing you know the customers you know doubled tripled quadrupled your workload and you really don't have much to stand on other than to get the project done and get out from underneath it which in some cases is very difficult to do yes especially the medium-sized projects yeah um they they become extremely messy and they become real, true um, financial loss leaders. Obviously, a smaller project, you can take, you can still take a financial hit, but it's only going to be marginal, and you hope future work. But when you get into the medium size projects, they can be a substantial financial hit if they if you get substantial creep, scope creep, which will happen in a vacuum. It, you're deluded. Um, because you've got to understand, and I, I, was, I just want to put this to you um, to see if you, you agree with me or you think I'm not being incorrect. There is a diet. We've got to be realistic here. And if you're listening to this podcast, I love your feedback about this, listeners and viewers. Um, we don't get enough feedback in this podcast from you. I love you to outreach to Kirk and myself about what guests, what subjects you would like us to discuss in 2024 because um, we just do not get enough feedback from you, Tribe. Uh, we need to get more feedback from you. But um, I think in the between the three to 10,000 mark, I think the type of clientele that come to most WordPress agencies they're looking for a solution and they've got to feel that you have the ability to do the solution. But they're also looking to get the maximized value from you. We've got to be brutally frank about this. Yeah. They're, they're looking to get the, the best deal for their buck possible. So they're shopping, but they're always making a judgment call. We're shopping. But can that individual, that agency produce what they say they're going to produce at the quality that 
um, we're looking for, but they're always shopping and they're always looking for what I call maximum value. Larger jobs, it's more ongoing relationship, ongoing other factors. It, so in that matrix that I've just outlined, if you have a void, that void will be filled in with extra value requests. It, they will just pour in. Um, what's your response to what I just said? Is there any truth or what's your own take no, on what yeah. outlined? You nailed that in the real world pretty well, Jonathan. I mean, if people read between your words, they should understand there needs to be a little bit more of a panic in the discovery process. People, I think, skip a lot of the discovery process and don't get the nitty gritty questions answered. You know, they're in such a hurry to close the deal and get a deposit or, or you know, swipe a credit card. Um, they, they well, yeah, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I wasn't being rude, but. Um, the only problem with what I'm saying is that a lot of client, a lot of customers do not know. They don't even know what they want. They don't even know what they want. So it's really, so, um, even if you're, um, on the bigger jobs, folks at WP Tonic, we do charge for paid discovery. We do offer discounts if the project is, we try and be fair to clientele, but we do insist because it, but the probably even there's a lot of um, people that have sold courses and sold solution to agency owners that paid discovery will solve all the problems. It doesn't, listeners, tribe members. It doesn't because it doesn't deal with a lot of clients that don't know what they need. They have no idea um, and. They only it only occurs to them um, like in the middle part of the project, and yeah. then that that leads to what I call honest scope creep. There's dishonest where they always had a gender which they never told you about. Um, that's dishonest scope creep creep. But then, but the bulk of clientele, it's not what I call dishonest scope creep. It's that they never knew from day one what, you know, and can you see where I'm coming from, Kirk, or do you think I'm on the route? Now? Oh, no, there's there's definitely that. It's it's That's why having project management in place and a way to track tasks and milestones is so important, and they do updates along the way, because at, that honest scope creep is real, right? And when they change the scope of the project in that process, like say you do a review and you say, this is where you add in the customer information. And then they go, oh, well, we want to just upload that with a CSV file. And then you go, okay, well, that's different. That's a different function. So if you want to automate this process, we can add that to the project, right? Because it wasn't originally scoped as part of the project. So as long as you have these meetings and these changes with scope creep and you acknowledge that that scope creep or additional scope then you can play with your deadlines and your budgets, or you can, you know, take away from part of the project in another area. But if you think you're going to sign up a client and work on something for four months and give it to them and say it's done, you know, at the end, the chances of them being happy is pretty slim because what they, ex what they expect and what you built are probably three different things. Yeah. You just touched on something else I want to put to you based on my experience. If a project, if a project in the website, I'm not talking about ongoing services like support, 
social media, um, uh, copywriting, and uh, what is cla- what I classify now as P- digital PR services. Um, I'm talking about web development design projects, folks. If you're looking at anything that cannot be finished between three and six months, I've had projects mostly driven by clients that have that have ghosted and that have disappeared for months. That you really got to have that in your contract and have penalty payments written in your contract because um, I've let that go. This is in my past, folks. And the project is extended for nine months to 10 months. They never end well. They always are filled with scope creep and you always end up the client blaming you. They never accepted that they ghosted you for three, four, five months. Or what it normally happens is they ghost you for six weeks and then there's a panic and then they ghost you another six, seven weeks, and then there's another panic. And it's an ongoing um, pattern of, of micro-ghosting, as I call it. I call it. That's what I call it. My, I call it micro-ghosting, right? They always end up blaming the agency. So now, especially if you're dealing with organisations that have committees or multiple um, um, decision-makers, um, the set fifty or the set fifty fifty or the third 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 setup do not work because they you get into an extended build up consultation scenario. You're better off going with a on a retainer that row over retainer. And what I mean is, you have a set retainer every month, and you allow you keep a record of hours from your team. And you allow the hours to row over to the next month and you agree you, they give you a kind of layout of the project and you say, well, that normally takes six months or well, that takes 12 months and it's done with a, a row over retainer. And that normally ends more favorably. But these fixed price projects, a fixed price project that goes over then six months, it, based on my exit, experience Kurt is doomed to failure it's doomed and clientele never the clientele that micro ghost never accepts their dysfunctionality they always place the dysfunctionality upon the freelancer and the agency owner what what's your response to what i've just outlined well you, you nailed that and it's as the agency owner when you're doing these update meetings you constantly have to you know this is so awkward. A lot of people think that as the agency, the customer is the project manager because the project, because the customer is going to be like, if you think that you're, you're really going to go down a bad rut while you're, you're totally out. Like if you are the agency, you are the project manager and you can only build what you have content to build with. Right. So either you're getting paid to make the content or the client is responsible to give you content to put into this structure. Yeah, so, well, no, that used to be a very painful because a lot of the projects, especially the individuals below 10,000 that were looking for maximum value, yeah. always wanted to write the copy. Then if you wanted to hire anybody, 
that was US based that had any idea. It got very expensive, and there was always that. That is not so bad. That's one using AI, you can get copy. It's not going to be fantastically sales orientated, but but it will allow you to get the job done, and the clientele can either modify it or we can hire somebody. I don't think copywriters should be that worried. I think if you're lower level, you've got things to worry about. But I think if you can add value through sales or intake copy that actually works um, and advisory elements to your packages, I think you've still got a decent way of making a living if you're copy-focused. Um, but that always used to be a pale, pale, extremely painful discussion between the three to ten thousand um, price point. But I think AI helps solve that to some degree. But I don't want to overemphasize. It's not the holy grail, but at least it stops you because that was a very painful scenario. Because oh, we have produced the content. We're oh, oh, we're struggling. We can't. Uh, well, there are. They are a thousand excuses, isn't there? Yeah, and that's the stuff that you can build all the structure and have the automations in place and and the templates, you know, the the containers where you want them. But if they don't agree on the content and it goes over 30, 60, 90 days, you are on a pathway for disaster. Well, the more more time this project needs, the more vacuum there is, the more more scope for scope creep, the more more the clientele i'm paying this money out i'm giving this guy this woman this team a load of money we've got no website it's just bleeding us they won't accept that they never provided the copy to copy then will never accept that they have consistently micro ghost the agency the freelancer they won't none of that and if you bring it up that's when it gets heated because they won't accept any of it. We we have paid you. You're you're the one that's supposed to produce the job. It then it gets Nancy, as I say, it gets ugly. I'm up for it actually. Um, you've seen me in operation, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm prepared to spell it out if it's necessary. Uh, um, I, but I didn't used to be that. I used to avoid it, but it does it does not work, folks? What's your response to that? My response is, we were going to talk about how people would get their foot in the door with bigger projects, you know, and now in the last 10 minutes, we've scared people away from wanting bigger no, projects. But I think we're, very, we're having an honest discussion, which a lot of podcasts, a lot of so-called experts, advising agencies, freelancers, yeah. they're just full of shit. They're just full of shit, folks. They're just giving you... But if you have processes and you work on it and you really, things will go easier for you. Yeah. Let's go on to the final couple of questions because I don't want it to be too negative. I don't think it has, actually. I think we just told people, based on my honest and your honest experience, what the realities are. Well, I think one statement that I hear from a lot of other agency owners, and, you know, because we network with a lot of people, Jonathan, is... Almost everybody has experienced small customers, people with a lack of budget, generally turn into a real pain in the rear end to finish and get done. And then it seems like the more people pay, the smoother the project goes. 
Like every time I up my game and I get better quality clients and higher budgets, the projects are much easier to maintain. And so, you know, if anything else, hopefully that's an inspiration for people that are looking for scale and growth to go, oh, well, if I sell bigger packages, maybe they are. I see where you're coming from and and then you hear that a lot, but I think it's also about process. If you're, you have concrete processes and you have proper contracts and you have, the only thing is there is a lot, there's two to three people that consistently sell membership solutions to agencies that say um paid discovery will solve all your problems and it's a lie it is important we do it i do it for larger you know the only we have a we have certain price um triggers that um if the person person has to pay up front we don't ask for discovery because they're set packages packagized services um, but if it's custom, fully custom projects, we have over a certain price point, listeners, we have paid discovery. But it, it doesn't, it's not an elixir that will solve all your problems because it doesn't solve the problem the client that honestly doesn't know what they're looking for. Right? It just, yeah. it just won't. And those. You, I'm not going to name them, but there's about three, four, three people that regularly turn up that got a new course, and it's always about if paid discovery will solve all your problems, it won't. Yeah. So on to the next thing. Um, what business tools and services that you utilize daily, weekly, monthly that help you run your agency and help you do your work? Can you name a few names and new things that come to your head? Well, one of the tools that I use that you might think is awkward to bring up is I got one of those remarkable two tablets, you know, that you can write on for your notes and stuff. And I take really great notes from every business meeting that I have. And those notes are completely searchable all within that. I don't because that's down to my dyslexia. I've got a pretty good memory, but it's not fallible as I get older and I'm I'm old now. Uh, But yeah, I prefer to um, write and draw. My notes yeah, that's great. My- you should always do that. You're totally, I wish I could do that. But um, AI has helped me enormously. Um, I've invested yeah. a lot of money and learning. And the, uh, I think the last year, the AI tools that I invested are really paying off dividends to yeah. me. Um, and we might have an internal discussion in the, in the new year Um about certain AI tools that I've utilized that really made a difference in my agency. Um, give us some feedback, listener, tribe members, if you want to hear that show. Otherwise, you're not going to get it. Um, so the tablet, anything else? Yeah. You know, it's the tools that we all we all use, but we take for granted now. So StreamYard, we're doing this right now. I run a ton of meetings on StreamYard. I run a ton in Zoom. And then I also do whereby for meetings inside mm-hmm. my own websites, right? So sometimes I want the meeting to be, you know, Zoom somewhere like a big room of people off brand. And then other times I really want to drive people to my site. And so sometimes I put the meeting inside my site using whereby. I also, you know, listen to a lot of ebooks to try and keep myself motivated and on target because I work remotely. And sometimes that lack of interaction you know, in person with people, you just want to hear some other words, some other advice, some other ideas. And so, 
Um, I'll listen to audible and I'll go through a lot of audio books while I'm doing stuff. And then I have my own podcast, you know, the Manana Nomas podcast is done on Spotify for podcasters. So I use that tool and then LinkedIn. I, I meet a lot of folks through LinkedIn and it, I'm not going to say I monetize LinkedIn. I hate when people say that, but it's I, kind of isn't it, isn't, isn't it, you know, um, I, I do leverage the networking. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously there's the WordPress and the, and the tech stack that, you know, you and I are both familiar with and how we build our products. Uh, the thing is I'm doing, uh, I do uh, specific industries and I've upped my LinkedIn game because you said you and I pay for premium. I've been the past few months, I've been up, up in my game, but yeah. it's in particular industry sectors, but the outreach, oh, what I don't mind many people approaching me through LinkedIn. What I hate is them selling, trying to sell to me straight away. What That's I mean bad. by that, I, I'm up front with it, but I always try and offer some value. I try and yep. offer a free PDF or a free resource. Um, I think it's totally fair to say I'm looking, you know, do you want a discussion? This is how we can help you. But also here's this free resource. Yeah, and if yeah. it because it might not be the right time, it's all about timing. There's I don't know, but the thing around LinkedIn. Sorry, go on. There's a whole culture around LinkedIn, and so many people are missing it. That that cold email in mail thing that that they offer that everyone spams you with. Do you want PMP training, or do you want to make seventy three new appointments every month? Or that that's garbage. Yeah, and, but that, but I do a little bit of that. But I offer a PTF. I offer, yeah, you know, offer value. Yeah, I'll try and offer something to somebody, and if it isn't the right time, I, I'm not going to buzz you. And then you get these people that can, they don't lay, they, they don't back off. You show no interest, and then it's 15 messages later, isn't it? You got to block them. <laughs> yeah, and in the end, you block them, don't you? Um, yeah. So it's self defeating. Because um, also, I think LinkedIn, because they're using automated systems, and LinkedIn is really trying to hit them hard because they got to because it will destroy linkedin as well um so on to our last question obviously you know i'm english never guess would you um and i've been living in america but i lived in england for 40 years and i always see myself culturally as being very english um got no plans to going back to the uk um, even though I've still got friends and family that I'm close to, it's just the weather, folks. Um, the weather in the winter is brutal, you know, um, and anybody from England that tells you any different, they're a liar. Uh, um, so I'm a great fan of Doctor Who and the Time Machine. So if you had your own time machine and you could go back for an hour and just have a in, nah, over a beer, have a chat with yourself. What would, would there be one or two things that you wish you had known at the beginning of your career that you understand now, Kurt? Oh, Jonathan, I think there's one or two things. And, and I think, and this is probably more personal than the listeners are used to hearing, but I did not have enough confidence in myself as a young man. On the outside, I appeared gregarious and confident, but on the inside, like in third grade, someone said, what do you want to do when you get older? I said, I, I want to write a book. And they literally laughed at me and said, you don't even like English class, dude. Why would you write a book? You know? And then if you remember the conversation we just had, 
publishing that book in 2007 is what led to my career in the OEM power sports world. So, you know, if I would have dismissed the naysayers and the haters earlier in life, I probably would have experienced There's that. a bloody lot of them, isn't there? There is. There's, unfortunately, there's some great people in WordPress, but there's some real shits in WordPress. You'd slightly disagree, but there is, be honest, there's some real keyboard warriors that are out in the WordPress community that just get delight in just shitting on everything and everybody. Um, and it's just depressing, but I've just, I've just chosen to, you know, I think I've done, I've had a couple of rants, but in, you look at the totality of how I've responded, I've just used the lies, that negative energy to refocus. Hopefully yeah. you would agree on that. I know you've had to deal with a couple shitty times with me where I've just ranted on. And so is Chris Badgers, who's a great friend. He's listened to a couple of times to my ranting. But in the totality, I'll be, I've been proud about, but there is a certain group in the WordPress community that are total shit. So, I mean, they're all foul people. And everybody knows them and tries to avoid them like the plague. Um, but he is. But there's also some really fantastic people, isn't there? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I totally agree with you because um, I, I had a terrible educational experience as a, a reasonably intelligent dyslexia. I was hated by my schools, hated by the establishment. That's why I've always had compassion for outsiders and people that struggle because I've been there myself. Because um, if you don't fit into the system, the system really makes it rough for you, doesn't it? It does. It does. And everyone's got a different learning style, but the system doesn't appreciate that. Nor does it want to know, does it? Yeah, doesn't encourage it. And so when I look at things that were overcome and things that, you know, that shaped my character, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily change events, even the negative events, because they're part of what make you who you are. But, you know, I'm 56 now, Jonathan, and I'm just, I seem like I'm just now coming out of my shell and recognizing my expertise in power sports, my expertise in leadership, my expertise in project management, my expertise in but I did all these jobs for 40 years. And even as a 50 year old person was like, I still felt like the child in the room. Yeah. So it's most strange. Um, just listen to me and Kirk, if you're a younger man or woman, um, find your niche, become a thought leader, build your tribe, build your community, all pay dividends. It's the one thing that losing a corporate job, losing a major client, this, that, can never be taken from you so Kirk I think it's been a, gr a great Thanksgiving special I think it's been a fabulous discussion what's the best way for people to find now also for, find your podcast and also find more information about you in general Kirk yeah the podcast is called Manana Nomas uh, it's on Apple it's on Spotify it's on Anchor it's on all the big channels um, I also publish all the episodes on my own site manananomas.com uh, got a pretty strong site there and a pretty strong offer. And, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a great way to get in touch, make the connection. Um, I've got a LinkedIn strategy that does not spam you. So you're safe to hit a connection link and, uh, and we'll go that route. Yeah. That's the elephant automatic replies when you connect and you get automatic pitch. Oh my God, that's <laughs> a losing strategy, isn't it? 
It's such yeah. a loser, isn't it? Uh, um, now, how can you support the show, folks? Well, you know, basically just contact me or Kirk, and there's loads of ways you can contact us on Twitter, um, leave a message on Twitter. Um, you can contact us through LinkedIn, uh, and you can contact us through the WP Tonic YouTube channel. So there's great ways of contacting us. We need your feed, more feedback from you about what kind of shows you, you and me and Kirk, you want from us. You know, what type of guests you want and what type of subjects you want from us. Um, give us that feedback. That'd be much appreciated. We will be back next week with another great interview. We'll see you soon. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group and also to keep up with the latest news, click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.